Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. The NIV reads, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good pleasing and perfect will the net bible therefore i exhort you brothers and sisters by the mercies of god to present your bodies as a sacrifice alive holy and pleasing to god which is your reasonable service do not be conformed to this present world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may test and approve what is the will of god what is good and well-pleasing and perfect The Phillips translation. With eyes wide open to the mercies of God, I beg you, my brothers, as an act of intelligent worship, to give him your bodies as a living sacrifice consecrated to him and acceptable by him. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold, but let God remold your minds from within so that you may prove in practice That the plan of God for you is good, meets all his demands, and moves toward the goal of true maturity. The New Living Translation. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. The message paraphrase. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday ordinary life. You're sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out, readily recognizing, readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. Let's pray. And Father, as we read these two verses through a variety of different translations, Lord, we ask that you would help us to get to the heart of your message to us today. Lord, we open our minds, we open our hearts to hear your voice. I pray that you would speak to us, Lord. Help us to respond as you 
desirous to respond. We love you, Father. And we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen. So these two verses, if you, if you rightly understand them and then apply them into your lives, your lives will be radically different. There is no question. They will change how you live out your life in this world. The first thing to notice in these verses is that as we go through them, there, there are certain conditional commands in the Bible that, that for example, do this or this will happen or it won't happen. That you, you have to respond in a certain way. Uh, these two verses are uh, mentioned by many as sort of being cooperative commands. That it's God saying, this is what I want. Will you please do it? Literally begging, please do this. There's no necessarily obligation. And unfortunately, there are many Christians in our world, in our culture, who are living out their Christian faith, missing all that God has intended. They have their fire insurance. They can say on June 2nd of 1983, when I was six years old, I believed in Jesus. I received a piece of paper and I filed it away. And I've gone on throughout my whole life going however I want. Now, if that's you, I, I wouldn't put a whole lot of trust in that, that what you have. You may or may not be saved. To those who actually have been saved, you're missing out on all that God has in store for you. If your faith is just as much as that I'm not going to go to hell because I've trusted in Jesus. But in this world, I'm going to live as I please. But Paul here says, please cooperate. The first word that we see is a therefore. This is a pivotal, pivotal, pivotal. I think I actually said it right the first time. Wow. I corrected myself when I didn't need to be corrected. Pivotal transitional word. Therefores always are sort of conditional on something that has been said previously. And in this case, I think he's referring the first 11 chapters of Romans. There were no chapters when Paul wrote. This is just a letter that he wrote. And so based on everything he said, this great doctrine, all of these truths, he now is shifting to his his meddling section. Because of all of these things that I've said, I now want you to respond in this way. There's been some significant therefores already in Romans. If you would turn back with me to Romans chapter 5, there's a very significant therefore in the first verse of chapter 5. And here we read, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus. This, therefore, if we were to go back and look at all of Romans we would see that Paul starts out almost immediately that he's not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of God unto salvation. And then he goes on to say, for the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. And he shows that every single person is born of sin. And because we're born of sin, we sin. Because you sinned in your life doesn't make you a sinner. You sin because you were born a sinner because Adam and Eve contaminated the bloodline of humanity. And he paints the case 
that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then there's hope there that appears about Christ coming, paying the cross. And in Romans chapter 4, he shows that it's always been by faith. And if you believe upon him, there's life. Look at what it says. If you believe, having believed, been justified by faith, not meaning just as you've never sinned or that you will never sin again. It means that because you've trusted in Christ, God has declared you just before him. And then he continues that we have peace. Notice the with. It's an, it's an important is that a preposition? No, preposition? It is a preposition. Thank you for the heads up. Get all nervous up here sometimes. Relax. Smile. It's going to be okay. But notice, if, you, if it said we have peace from God, that's not what it says. It says we have peace with God. And you can miss that. So before you were justified, you didn't have peace with God because his wrath was due you. But in Christ, suddenly, we're no longer at war with God. We have peace with him. And naturally, if you have peace with God, you'll have the peace of God, which will flow into your lives. Through whom also we've obtained our introduction, verse 2, or access. That, that he's granted us access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Grace so often being understood as something that we receive, but here... It's, it's a noun. It's something that we stand in. You're saved by grace, but then our, our life operation, how we see things, how we deal with God is by grace. You're saved by grace. You live by grace. Many Christians are saved by grace, and then they live out their life by works to maintain favor with God. It's an easy, easy trap to fall into. We'll get more into that later. And we exult in the hope of the glory of God. Everything points to God and his glory. If we turn the page, we see Romans 6, 4, another therefore. It says, therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death. So that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the father. So we too might walk in newness of life. For we have become united with him in the likeness of his death. Certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. His beautiful. We're no longer dead. We've been justified. As he was dead, we've been raised into newness of life. There's hope for us. This week I did a lot of work with, I was working with Daniel Fredericks. And uh, when we were working on, on, on Pandora on my phone, I was blasting Keith Green. Going into communion, we're singing an awesome Keith Green song. I love Keith Green. But I could listen to Keith Green. I have a million of his songs, like over and over. Not a, I've listened to his songs a million times. That's an exaggeration, I'm sure. But a bunch of times. But I don't really listen to words that often of songs. And so there I am, like, laboring away. And all of a sudden, I heard a line in the song that I probably heard a million times before, but never heard it. And it said, Jesus rose from the grave, and you can't even get out of bed. And it's hilarious. I'm like, I start like, Daniel, did you hear that? He's like, yeah, of course I've heard that line before. I go home, I tell him, I'm like, Ann, have you heard this line by Keith Green? She's like, Gunnar, yeah, we listen to that CD all the time. I'm like, yeah, but who listens to the words of songs? I don't. And then every now and again, they like jump out at me. And here he's saying like, Christ rose from the grave. And we've been connected with him. 
great hope. You turn the page to Romans chapter 8 and we stumble across another therefore. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Awesome. This is beautiful. From this, he leads into the whole uh, living in the spirit and then uh, ending with this great promise that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Not death, not life. But how can we know? How can we trust that? What about Israel? And that leads into Romans 9, 10, and 11, showing the trustworthiness of God and how he's operating. Even though he made these great promises to Israel, he has not rescinded his word. We just can't see the bigger picture. And he shows God's faithfulness through Romans 9, 10, and 11. But before we go there, if you write in your Bible in Romans 8, 1, circle, the, circle no condemnation and then put a star. It doesn't say no conviction. There's a lot of times where Christians think, oh, I feel so bad about fill in the blank. I don't even know if I'm a Christian. It's like, no, I think you're a Christian. You don't stand condemned in Christ. But when you, be, when you accept Christ as your Savior, the Spirit comes and dwells within you. And now you have two natures. And you can feel miserable if you're not walking with God. If you're walking in sin, the conviction can feel worse than condemnation. So I just want to point out to you that it doesn't say, therefore, there is now no conviction for those who are in Christ Jesus. It says no condemnation. There's plenty of conviction for those in Christ. And I don't know about you, but I know already because I've sat through this message once before today. There's plenty of conviction in these verses. Then we come to our passage, therefore, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, because of all of this stuff, I'm going to say some stuff. And in the Greek, the therefore doesn't come first. There's an intensity, an emphasis. In Greek, the, the word order doesn't necessarily matter. But if you place something first, it can, it can highlight the emphasis. And the very first phrase or word is this urging. Urge. And we know from the endings that it's I, that Paul is urging. This is a desperate pleading. Brothers, I urge you. I urge you, brethren. We need to stop on brethren. If you're not a Christian and you're here today, if you've never placed your life in Christ, don't try to do any of verses 1 and 2 or you're going to go down a whole wrong road theologically. This whole passage is geared for those who have come to faith in Christ, who have believed in Christ for salvation. This isn't teaching about works. Now, but to the believer in Christ, works is everything. Not to maintain favor, but I'll explain more of that. He's speaking to those who are in Christ. And if you haven't believed, it's simple. Just, I, you just, in your heart, you trust God. Just like that. No, There's no new members class, new believers class, like... Do this or that. It's literally in your heart when the dots all connect. Like, Jesus died for me. If I believe in him, I have peace with God. Boom. Just like that. Simple. It's too simple for humans. That's why we try to complicate things. This is, therefore, I urge you, brethren. He's speaking to the Christians. If we were to go back to Romans chapter 1, verse 7, we'd see that he's writing to the believers who are in Rome, composed of both Jews and Gentiles. They've already come to Christ. He's writing this letter to them to encourage them, to to share about his ministry, to fix a problem in the church, 
to build a relationship for his future ministry to Spain, which he would never get to. And he says, I, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God. By the mercies of God. It, he doesn't say, I urge you by the wrath of God. A day is coming. And you're going to stand judgment. And you fear God and that should compel you. That's the that's route I would go. Smile, Gunner. It's a little metal note. Remember Romans 1.18. For the wrath of God is revealed. And so many churches are, are beating people up for the wrath of God. But what is Paul? He says, I, I, I urge you by the mercies, the compassion of God. This, this alludes back to Romans 2.4 where he says, brother, don't. Don't think lightly. Don't don't forget that you came to salvation through the kindness of God. The kindness of God led you to repentance. The last six verses before this, the bottom line is that all have been disobedient to God and God has been merciful to all. This is something that we don't understand. We can't even begin to wrap our minds around the character and nature of God. If I was God, and you can give a big hearty amen that I'm not, I don't think anybody would be saved. Seriously, nobody would be saved. You cut me off in traffic. You're out of here. (laughs) But praise the Lord that I'm just gunner. I'm nobody. It's the mercy of God. It's the compassion of God. This is what he's urging. Understand how much God loves you. Understand what God has done for you. Understand how much he loves you, how merciful he is. This should change how you, your life, how you live, how you think, how you go about your daily business. And then there's like cooperation here. There's no, you better do this or else it's all, it's all off the table. Just simply pleading with us. What's he pleading? Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God. So we, we know that he's passionate. He wants something. We know how he's compelling us to do it. It's through the mercy, the compassion of God. And then he's going to come to these two verses, which weren't even verses. They're sentences to him. The, the first one is going to deal with our physical body. Like the physical, you can touch it. Body parts. The second one has everything to do with your brain, how you think, your worldview, how, how you go about viewing things. They're so connected. And he begins with the body and he says, I urge you by the mercies of God to present. This word present in the Greek is defined like this. To make something available to someone without necessarily involving actual change of ownership. To make available, to provide, to present to. You guys ever been on a trip where you show up somewhere and the, the person that you're visiting or seeing, they say, I don't have my car keys on me. They say, hey, here's my car keys. I'll keep the gas filled. Just go do whatever you want to do. Enjoy yourself with here. This car is yours. Don't worry about it. You total it. It's okay. I got good insurance. It's covered. Just enjoy yourself. It's yours. And have fun. This has happened to me a couple times. It's awesome. You don't actually have, it's not your car, but you get to treat it like your car. Uh, A few years ago, when Ruth, who's not here, her husband passed away and at the funeral, Ruth has, uh, you know, kids that she's adopted over the years from all over the world. 
And I met this girl that was there. It was kind of before the ceremony was going. And she introduced me to her three daughters and her names. I'm like, are you the Spain daughter? And she's like, yeah. And I'm like, my wife grew up there. She's like, really, where? And I described to her where my wife grew up. And she's like, that's right where I grew up. And I'm like, okay, don't go anywhere. She's like, I'm at a funeral. I'm not going anywhere. And I'm like, okay, well, well, my wife's going to come. I want to introduce you. And so we get go. They start talking about Spain. They're all lighting up. And in the conversation, she looks at us and she's like, you know what, guys? I have two condos, my mom and I, that sit empty from September to May. Anytime you want to go there, just let me know they're yours. I'm like, oh, that's really nice. So life goes on. A couple months pass by. That was like in August. Now we get to like September, October. And me and Anna are talking. We're like, you know, your Spanish grandmother's not doing well. We really should go to Spain. Do you think she really meant that? Because somebody makes an offer like that, you don't think that they mean it. And so I send her a note and I say, hey, you know, you remember that, that at the funeral and, and you said this. There, there's no pressure. Like I understand if you're just saying that to be nice. And, uh, but, but is that offer really on the table? She's like, listen, anytime September to May, tell, just tell me the dates. I'll set my friend up. She'll meet you at the airport. She'll toss you the keys. And uh, when you leave, just throw the keys in the thing, lock it up, and you'll be good to go. No way. So, of course, we made plans. And our plan was to, like, go every September to May for the rest of our lives while the offer was on the table. <laughs> it's only happened once financially. It's getting more and more expensive to have flights over there. But we, we show up at the airport. Her friend waits there. She leads us to the place, throws us the keys. We spend like 17 days in this place with like Spaniards who are like, that's like privately owned condos. We're like, this is our place, you know, for just two weeks, you know, they're like, it was just awesome. Now, this is that word, like to, like to present your bodies. And the whole ownership thing, I've been thinking about that. Because all of us, in God's sovereignty, in his mercifulness, in his kindness, he hasn't treated us like robots, like slaves, although we are. He's given us the capacity and the feeling that each of us are our own boss, that that we have the pink slip to our papers. But do you guys remember, if you'll turn back with me back to Romans, I mean back to Romans, back to Romans chapter 6. And in verse 14 of Romans chapter 6, see, now I read this and I just think about my, my car, the 1971 Super Beetle. When I bought it, I got the pink slip. It probably didn't make a big impact to you guys, but for me, oh. In verse 14, it says, For what? For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. What then shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace may never be. This whole passage, you can go back to Romans chapter 12, unfolded this idea that your pink slip used to be owned by sin. But when you came to Christ and you believed in Christ, the new doctrinal truth for the Christian is sin no longer owns you. Grace owns you. You're under grace. You've been set free. You're under no obligation to continue sinning. And so when I look at this, it's like, well, here I am. I'm a believer. I think I have the pink slip to my life. But then the reality is I don't have the pink slip on anything. You can drink bottled water. You can eat broccoli. You can eat organic. You can do whatever. God can take you just like that. 
I see Olympic athletes all the time. They're like world-class athletes at 29. That one lady, I forget her name, like 29 years old, heart attack, dies. You're like, she's a specimen. How in the world does she die? And then I look at Fred down the street. There's no Fred, but we all know Fred, the 88-year-old who smokes, drinks, dips, (laughs) eats fried chicken every day. He's 99 years old and in perfect health. It's like, why am I drinking bottled water? Why? Well, I'm not. I mean, I am here, but I'm, I drink it out of the hose. <laughs> Even after I just round it up, I'm not afraid of that. You know, it's like, no problem. I'm sidetracked on that one. The point is that I'm smiling. I'm rela- too relaxed now. <laughs> That's like tighten things up, Gunner. The point is, is that we don't own our lives. You can do whatever you want. And if God wants you gone, he'll take you. If he wants you here, you're here. And he says, present your bodies. A living and holy sacrifice. Sacrifice and living don't fit together. You read the whole Old Testament. Sacrifice meant, here's this animal. I'm going to put my hand on it symbolizing my sin i'm going to slit its throat blood's going to pour out symbolizing that this should be me i'm going to sacrifice it up i'm going to chop it into pieces i'm going to make different offerings with it but this is a living sacrifice about the physical body we we don't have any sacrifice to make christ paid it all for us but how, how do we sacrifice our lives and I confess, looking, like I made a list, because like, it's like, well, what's the body? Got the head. When I say the head, I think of the brain. I think of the breast brain is like, kind of like a muscle. You know what I mean? Like there's the brain, there's the thinking part of the brain, but then there's like the brain that you can affect by like, you know, drinking or other stuff or whatever it is that's affecting your brain. I'm not thinking what you're thinking about. I'm thinking about the condition of the head, your eyes, what you look at, what you view your ears, what you listen to, your mouth, what you say, what you put into it. I'm not talking about bottled water again. I'm talking about substances that can affect the muscle up here. The hands. So I put waste with question mark. And Anna always reviews my notes. She's like, you put waste with a question mark? She's like, you're not going there. I'm like, well, they're all grown-ups. I can say waste. You guys know what I'm talking about? Waste. We'll leave that as a body part. Moving on. Feet. (laughs) Resources. Everything that you have. And, And my inclination, when I see, present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. My first inclination is to think, don't do that, 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 that with those. Don't do that with your head. Don't do that with your eyes. Don't do that with your ears. Don't do that with your mouth. Don't do that with your hands. Don't do that with your waist. Don't do that with your feet. Don't do that with your resources. Paul's already covered that in Romans chapter 6. He's, been, he's made it very clear that you're no longer under sin. Stop it. Don't do that anymore. But if I'm to look at this correctly, a sacrifice, a living sacrifice is positive. What does he want you to do with these things? Remember verse 36 where we ended last week. Don't, don't, don't let the Bibles get chopped up into little pieces. 
it all fits together. Remember, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. How can you, if all things are from him, to him, and for him, your head, eyes, ears, mouth, hands, waist, feet, resources, from him, to him, from him, to him, for him, all for his glory. All of those parts can be used for God's glory. So how can I live my life in a way, smile, relax, Gunner? It's okay. I'm, I'm passionate about this. How can we take our, everything that we have physically and bring God glory with that? And part of it might be that you need to stop some of that stuff out that he already covered in Romans chapter 6. But then if you, you don't just stop and do nothing. God's created us to, to, to serve and to work and to use these for enjoyment, for his glory, to enjoy him in a variety of ways. And so there's doing certain things. And I can't answer these questions for you. I have plenty of guilt and conviction, I should say, in all of these areas that God's refining in my life. One of them, I, 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 on the one hand, I love traveling. I love cultures. I love, God has put this in me. On the other hand, I hate it. Hate it. Yesterday, as I'm going over this, I'm like, hey, Anna, there's a little meeting after church. Can you wait for me? Because I need, we need to run an errand afterwards. And she's like, I'm going to that meeting. What do you mean you're going to that meeting? She's like, I'm going to bark up and we need to do a trip to Mexico. I want my kids to go to Mexico. And I'm like, ah, I've been to Mexico a million, jillion times. Another exaggeration. <laughs> I've been down there a bunch. I'd love going to Mexico. Then you have Gunner, who's the Navy SEAL, the other side of me, law enforcement chaplaincy. It's like, oh, it's too dangerous. It's too dangerous. It's too dangerous. Stuff's getting worse. And I said, you said that six years ago. I'm, like, I'm still saying it. I know. So I'm, I'm, I admit there's a war within me. But, but part of this is, okay, Lord, like I offer my family, my little idol. And your family can be your idol. God says a bunch of commands to your family, but it also can be your idol. Say, no, Lord, I trust you. We need to live out what you've commanded us to. They need Jesus. They need the love and compassion. And so... That's just my issue. All to his glory. Let's move on. I'm getting too uncomfortable in the spot. Smile. But you guys get what I'm saying, right? Which is your spiritual service of worship. I think it was Annette. I, I really don't like how they translated spiritual. Because that sounds so spiritual. So lofty. So not tangible. A few of the translations translate the word spiritual, which is true to the Greek text, as reasonable. One of my favorite stories in the Navy goes back to the winter of, I think it was, it must have been like 97. It was like February, cold winter months. SEAL Team 3 got a new supply officer who knows nothing about the culture of the SEAL teams, what we actually do. And O'Neill had come out with this new wetsuit, the O'Neill Animal. It was like super duper warm, super thick. Not only was it thick, but all the joints worked really well so you could move all your body parts and not lose circulation. But it was like $700 or something like expensive. And so all of the operators at SEAL Team 3, we said, this is the wetsuit we want. We sent up, our, we sent up the requisition to get these wetsuits ordered for us in all the right sizes. 
when a shipment came in, it was like the cheapest. It was like they went to the Walmart website and ordered like $30 wetsuits. There's no offense to Walmart. I don't want a lawsuit or anything. But we're like, what is this? And so one of the higher ranking seals in our in our platoon went to another guy and that guy who had authority went to this guy and did something and about three weeks later we all had our brand new wetsuits we're like how did you how did you pull this off they're like well we sent him out to san clemente island we put the supply officer in a boat we drove out to san clemente or we we rode out to san clemente island we got about half a mile from the shoreline and we kicked him into the water with nothing and he sat there for like 30, uh, he went there to where he was pretty much almost hyping out. He'd been begging for mercy the whole time. And when they finally realized it was getting unsafe and they had to like pull him in, but you can free somebody. It's always the hot, you, you can normally bring somebody back from the cold. Um, so it's like, so you can kind of push it. And there's a saying with, well, that's another story, but you're not dead until you're warm and dead is the saying. Like cold, you can revive its, its body's amazing how it preserves itself. And, uh, that's, a, that's a different class. And, yeah. So then the guy's begging to be brought back in the boat. And while they're in the boat, they're like, do you understand why we want a $700 wetsuit? Anybody can have a $700. Anybody wants a, they brought him in. What changed? His perspective. His perspective. You're like, Gunnar, what are you, where are you talking? What does this have to do with anything? It has everything to do with everything. Because you read the first part of this verse. And you you say, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Holy and acceptable to God. That seems radical. Radical. Why in the world it's foolish? Which is why Paul continues to verse 2 dealing with the mind. It only seems radical if your perspective of what God has done for you is out of whack. If you understand what God has done for you and for us as believers, this is reasonable. Totally reasonable. And to get to that understanding of a reasonable list, look at where he goes to. And he says, it's it's acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world. He starts challenging the world system. And this is the page where I have smile on really, really big on my page. (laughs) I'm happy. But this is serious. And I believe that Christians in our American culture need a wake-up call. Uh, the, the idea of conformity, this word that's expressed, imagine that I take a uh, flask would work, but that's not what I'm thinking of. I'm thinking of a carafe is what I'm thinking of. Either one would work. I get a carafe. It's got a little shape to it. I go and I take it to the water fountain or the spigot back there, I I turn on the water, and the water goes in, and it takes the form of the glass that's around it. That's the idea of conformity, of this word. And he says, 
Do not be conformed to this world or this world's order, this world's system, the world's philosophy, the world's understanding, the ideology of this place that we live in. Now, he doesn't say remove yourself from the world. He says, don't be conformed to it. So if we were that water in the carafe illustration, we should be poured into the little carafe. But all of the edges shouldn't be touching. We should we should bear the image or the shape that God tells us that we should be within this shape. Does that make sense? So where he's told us a positive command in the first to I urge you, I beseech you by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living holy sacrifice. This is positive. Then he comes with a negative command. Do not conform. Do not be conformed to this world, the system of ideology. And somewhere in when I remember, I'll never forget the message. My red blooded American Christianity was challenged. I, I, I would have to go to Google to figure out exactly the date. But I know that the coal bombing had just happened. And the reason that the coal bombing was so significant to me, my, father, my soon-to-be father-in-law, he was kind of laughing. He's like, hey, isn't that where you're about to go? I'm like, yeah, that's right where I'm about to go. That's not funny. <laughs> so, why are you making light of this? I'm heading there in like two months. And somewhere in that span, I sat through a message. It was a guest pastor, and he started challenging the American Christian mindset. And this is where it's going to get uncomfortable for some of us. Got a real uncomfortable for me. Because my patriotic, red-blooded American side was challenged with allegiance. Was my allegiance to this, com- this country, was it stronger than my allegiance to the scriptures and to God? And I would love to say at that point, like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, because I, I know the right answer. We're supposed to, yeah, this is the right answer. But in my heart, would I die for this cause? No, for that cause. I was about to go out and bear arms and offer myself very possibly to death. And God began, I got so mad at the pastor. He was challenging everything I thought because I thought being in the military, being a warrior, serving, being uh, associated with a certain political party, that equaled Christianity. And it doesn't, folks. It doesn't at all. I was disturbed this week driving in my car listening to the Christian radio station and there was a pastor preaching at his church and the text that he was preaching from was not this book. It was the Constitution of the United States of America. The Constitution of the United States of America is not inspired by God. It is not our text that we preach from and it will never be the text that we preach from at this church. I got one amen during the last service. That was okay. I'll, I'll cling to that one. And it wasn't Larry, so it was, it's a new one. But the issue is, and I'm not saying the Constitution is a bad thing. I believe that Christians were, like, they did it, but it's not our text. This is not what we teach. We teach the scripture. And I think that there are many Christians, I was one of them, who the lines became blurred between politics and what the word of God is. 
and his creation in the world. And how does it all fit? America's not anywhere in this book. And it's very easy to be conformed to this world and think that you're not conformed to this world because you watch Fox News or you watch NPR or you watch ESPN. I know tons of passionate Christians in all camps. And I know Christians that are Democrats who can't even fathom how a Christian could be a Republican. And I know Republicans that can't even fathom how you could be a Democrat and a believer. Politics is not a part of this book. It's not what we preach. Now, I'm not saying that as you give your life, as you walk with God, as you're transformed through this book, that God will not lead you to serve in these areas. Because I feel very strongly, absolutely, we're to be a light in this world. We're to be out there. We'll be held accountable for how we vote. We live under an authority that gives us the freedom to go out and to voice our opinion, to stand for things. We should be out there. So don't take, don't get this going the wrong way. But as we go out there, our conformity is to Christ and Christ alone. That's where our allegiance is. And I'll smile again. Cleansing breath. Do not be conformed to this world. And I would, I would challenge you to examine your convictions, your thoughts, your heart. Ask yourself, why do I feel this way? And if you're a follower of Christ, the very thing, the first thing that you should come to is, you know what? As I study the scriptures, it's led me to this conviction. And I believe the scriptures want me to stand for this. And we live in a nation where we can stand for this. It's, Romans chapter 12 is going to get bad. And, and, and the, the government which Paul is writing under would kill him for these beliefs. And yet he's going to tell them to submit to them. And there's tensions there that I struggle with and I don't have the answers to. But he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Transformed, transformation. This word transformed is only used four times in the whole New Testament. And they're fascinating. If you would turn with me to Matthew chapter 17. Is that right? Yeah, Matthew 17, chapter 2, verse 2. So in Matthew 17, verse 2, is one of the places where this word transform is used. A few years ago, when I did a word study on this transformation, that my, it just woke me up. To what Romans chapter 12 verse 2 was saying about don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In Matthew chapter 17 verse 2, what we read is, and he was transfigured. That word transfigured is transformation, is be transformed. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transfigured. Look at the story. Go back to verse 1. Six days after Jesus took with, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the inner three. His brother led him up to a high mountain by themselves. And he, that's Jesus, was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun. And his garments became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. 
And Peter opened his mouth in a bad way (laughs) again. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three tabernacles here, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground and were terrified. This is a reasonable, healthy reaction when you encounter God. You fall on your face terrified. Last week, all of those stars and those big things, the being who spoke all of this into existence, spoke creation, you encounter him. The first place you go is on your face terrified. But look how Jesus responds. I love it because that's what we have in Christ. And Jesus came to them. He, he stops his conversation. He, he goes to them. And he touched them and said, get up and do not be afraid. Abba, father, this is your daddy who I'm building this relationship with. And lifting their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. And as they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, tell tell the vision to no one until the son of man has risen from the dead. Powerful story. Can you imagine being there and seeing Jesus in the flesh? 100% 100% man, 100% God. Don't tell, ask me how to figure out how that works. Suddenly, he allows his divine nature to be fully sort of manifested to them. All of a sudden, Elijah and Moses appear. And what command does Jesus give them? Don't tell anybody. How, how do you not? How do you go about that? I don't know powerful picture of transformation the other place it's in mark chapter 9 verse 2 same story same transfiguration if you'll turn with me over to second corinthians chapter 3 is the third place that this word transformed is used so second corinthians chapter 3 verse 18 i believe it's the very last verse and here he says But we all, with an unveiled face, beholding as as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord and the Spirit. He just told the story of Moses going up to Mount Sinai. And as Moses was up there and he encountered God, he came down. He was literally glowing from being in the presence of the Lord. And he says, we too, as believers, now that we have the Spirit within us, we behold this glory that we have this sort of this transformation taking place within us. And then turn the page and look where he goes because this ties into Romans chapter 12. Because we have this glory, how do we live out our lives? Therefore, since we have this ministry as we received mercy, doesn't that sound like Romans chapter 11? 30 through 36, which basically said, all have been disobedient to God. God has chosen to be merciful to all. And he says here, therefore, since we have this ministry, as we receive mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. 
And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world, don't let that phrase slip past you, the God of this world, that's Satan. God and his authority has allowed Satan to run wild. Don't be surprised that people are walking away from God. It's not the end of the story, but in this age, the God of this world is lowercase g. Satan is going around deceiving, distorting the truth, leading people astray. But it's not the end. The God of this world, verse 4, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is in the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power of God will, will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Always caring about in the body, the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus might be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death. For Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. You can turn back to Romans chapter 12. And so here from the, the glory of God being within us, being transformed so that it's coming out and we're becoming the people that Christ wants us to be. We're being shaped into his image. He doesn't describe a picture where life gets easier. He says, persecuted crushed but we don't lose hope we press on because we understand that the answer lies in his glory and his hope when he comes and does a work in this world and changes everything and so we read this and we said do not be conformed to this world but be transformed how we've seen the four times this is used where where jesus's divinity comes out and and shines brightly in the in the christian we see that the spirit of God is within us and our new nature is taking over and our new bodies are slowly being revealed and we carry within us the glory of God. But how do we get there? It's not how I would describe my life day in, day out as I first became a Christian. But look at what he says here. Be transformed. He gives us the means by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is. That which is good and acceptable and perfect. As we take in the word of God. Things begin to change up here. Our minds start thinking differently. The word goes into our hearts. Starts changing the foundation of who we are. I see that a person comes to the faith in Christ. Then the spirit of God comes within him. The word of God starts going in. The spirit takes the word of God. Starts transforming and convicting and and working in their lives and then he leads us into service and then as we step out and serve and walk with him suddenly this growth and transformation happens in our minds 
and our lives and everything is changed. And he goes on. He says. So that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. We're faced with millions, hundreds of decisions every day. Choices. How how do we do this? Who do we vote for? Who do we serve today? Who do we whatever? Whatever the question is. Who do we marry? Do we buy this house? Do we not buy a house? Do we sell our car? Do we buy a new car? Do we keep going in this car? Do we just keep fixing it? Those answers aren't in here. You can't open up to second opinions and go, oh yeah, right here. Gunner's supposed to marry Anna on February 2nd of 2002 because that's a really cool date. It was never there. And when we were getting married, it was terrifying. This is the right person. I linking myself with somebody that I shouldn't link myself. That's what she was thinking. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want her to answer that right now. But I can assure you she asked those questions after we were married too. Because <laughs> God's been doing a work in my life. Only she's laughing because she's like, amen, brother. <laughs> I'm a difficult person. I truly am. And God's doing a work. But, but as, we, as we take the word of God in, we begin to walk closely with him. We, we notice that we find ourselves getting convicted over things, challenged, over, challenged, challenged by God over certain beliefs, and you can resist and grow hard and not go along with his program. Or you can say, you know what, no, what, Lord, you're right. I don't get it, but I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to walk this way, and we see growth. And that's the aim here. For the, uh, on our website, one of the values that I put up there is I'm not big into the people walking the aisle and, and making professions. What, what I want is to help us as individuals come to know Christ, that we would come to, to understand his revealed word, that we would grow in the scriptures, because then as we understand his word, our worldview is transformed. We stop thinking like this age. We start seeing things through God's perspective because we're transformed. And from here, we're going to take communion. The baby's okay. Everybody's like, when it's your baby, you like freak out. Like it's like, oh man, it's, we're okay. So we're going to close with communion. And there was a side of me back to smiling and being relaxed and calming down. And there was a side of me that I wanted to set up communion and say, you know what guys, today's the day for communion, except Nobody can take communion today. Because what I wanted to see, will they push back? Will they say, you can't stop me from taking communion because I'm following Christ. And I don't care what people think. I'm coming down the front and I'm taking communion because of what he did for me. But then I realized you can't do that. I got to smile. His mercy. None of us can meet the mark. But, But our aim when we take communion... It's important. See, I, I was raised in the Catholic Church, and communion in the Catholic Church was far different than the, what communion's taught in the Protestant Church. And then I found as I became a Protestant, there was almost this sort of this minimizing of the significance of what communion is. And I think that's going too far. We see in 1 Corinthians 11 that they were taking communion incorrectly. And they were dying because of it. And so communion is significant. 
And I make us come forward to take communion because I don't want to make it easy for you. I don't want it to, to pass the plate and you to feel obligated that you need to take it when you really shouldn't. And so you're not forced to come up. Nobody's watching what you're doing. This is between you and God. And communion is a big deal. And I started thinking about communion. These crackers that we take, this was Jesus on his last night. He took the Passover bread and he says, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Remember that this cracker symbolizes that when I go to the cross tomorrow and I'm killed, executed as an innocent man, all of the world's sins are being placed upon me and I am paying the penalty due you. And so we take this and we remember, we reflect, Lord, I stand justified before you. Because of what you did, that your body was broken, you bled, you were humiliated in front of everybody so that I might have relationship with you. And then the juice is significant. I, 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 got, in, I got a little off track. I go on tangents sometimes studying. And a lot of the communion is very symbolic to the Jewish marriage ceremony, which is beautiful. I, I, I was looking through the, the, what they go through and how, uh, I, I mean, down to shattering the glass at the end, symbolizing the heartbrokenness over the temple being destroyed in 70 AD. There was a, a girl in our last service who they were married. She's Jewish and they were married in a ceremony. And she said, yeah, it's powerful. Like the, during this ceremony, I had to walk around Scott symbolizing my heart being knit to his. It's beautiful. And there's wine drinking throughout the actual ceremony, not the afterwards. I don't know. I'm sure they do. I don't know. But that's don't don't get distracted on the wine drinking part. There's a couple different wine drinking parts in the marriage. And back in Jesus's day, one of the things that was often done is as a guy approached a father about marrying his daughter. He would say, can I marry the daughter? They work out all the arrangements. The guy would say, hey, go, go build my daughter a house so that you can take care of her. He would go back. They would never know how long it would take for him to finish the house. Remember what Jesus said? I go and prepare a place for you. What is, what is the church referred to, to Jesus, the bride? There's so much of this marriage ceremony. And part of what would happen when, when, the, when the husband or the future husband, the groom, finished his place and he went back to the bride, he would offer her a glass of wine. And when he offered the glass of wine, he would say, you know what, this symbolizes Everything that I have is yours if you choose to accept it. And she had an opportunity to walk away, to not accept it. But then to take the glass and to drink from it, she was saying, I accept this covenant. And not only do I accept all of your stuff, but everything that I have, it's yours. And we'll become one and we'll get married. And then the marriage ceremony would take place. And so we take that story in light of communion. When Jesus says, this is the cup I offer it to you. How did he offer to us? He gave us his life. So when we take communion, we're reminding ourselves that, yeah, he paid it all. We accept that gift. And in return, we give him our lives. Why? It's reasonable. It's an act of worship. Now, none of us attain it. Don't go beating yourself up like you're a failure. We're all failures. It's the mercies of God, our aim. And so with that, let's pray. Father, we do thank you and praise you, Lord. For this day, Lord, we, as we take communion today, Lord, um, 
I pray, Father, that you would speak to our hearts, Lord, if there's sin in our lives, that you would bring it to mind, that we could confess it. Lord, if we're at odds with somebody or some someone over something, Lord, I I think of your words of saying if you're at the altar making an offering and you remember that you're at odds with your brother to stop what you're doing and to go make amends. Father, I pray that you would help us to live our lives in a way that's pleasing to you. We are so helpless. We can't do it on our own. Our flesh is powerful, Lord. We need your spirit to guide us, to direct us. Father, we reflect on your broken body. We thank you, Lord, that you died for us. And Father, as we take this cup, Lord, we um, we not only accept your gift, but Lord, we give you our lives. We thank you that you work in us and through us in our imperfection. We pray, Lord, that as we offer our bodies to you, as we renew our minds, Lord, that you would help the transformation to take place, Lord, that you would do it all for us. We love you, Lord. And we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen.